Let me first, before I get to the message for this day, let me just take this time to thank you all for your prayers. Uh, when my mom was ill, uh, and she's recovered, uh, God is indeed good. I thank you all for the prayers that have been made by the different groups of people. She was in hospital for a short period of time. There were a couple of days when things were not looking very good, but she's back home now. And the proof that she's well is when she starts ordering me around. <laughs> and uh, she started doing that, so I know that uh, she's well. She is still on an external oxygen support, which means she still needs uh, oxygen coming through cylinders uh, or some machines uh, which we have set up at home. Uh, but uh, I'm trusting God that that will also be for a very temporary period. Uh, and so my prayer, and I ask you to continue praying, is that uh, she will not depend on these man-made machines uh, for oxygen, but she will be able to freely breathe the air which God has so freely provided for us. Uh, so thank you all. Now, shall we open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 24. Isaiah 65, verse 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who hears prayers and you are a God who answers prayers. Father God, right now, even as we study from your word, Lord Father, I pray, Lord, that you will minister to every one of us, Lord Father. Father God, let your word accomplish that which it is meant to do, Lord Father. Father, we just commit this time into your hands and we pray, Lord, that your name will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you a story that I read quite a long time back. It was narrated by a doctor who was working deep in the jungles of Africa. Uh, one day, despite the best of his efforts, a young lady died uh, during childbirth, leaving behind a small premature baby and a two-year-old girl. The little baby would have a tough time surviving, and the first need was a feeding bottle to give her milk. Unfortunately, the only feeding bottle available in that outpost was cracked and was leaking. Early the next morning, the doctor called all the children of that orphanage, which was attached to the hospital, and asked them to pray for the little baby and her two-year-old sister. A 10-year-old girl led the prayer, and she came straight to the point. God, she said, please send a feeding bottle for the little girl, the little baby today itself. And for the little girl, please send her a little doll. And all the children said, Amen. But the doctor couldn't say Amen, because he knew that there was no way for a bottle to come there at that point of time. Anyway, he went back to his clinic to continue seeing patients, dreading the call that he would get, telling him that the baby had died. 
As he was waiting and as he was seeing patients, suddenly one of the nursing assistants came up to him and said, Doctor, there's a parcel that's arrived for you. Would you come and receive it, please? And so he went, and it was a fairly big box, and it was a box which had been packed with goodies. And he opened it, and he found that there were pencil boxes, and shirts, and sweaters, and shoes, and pencils for all the kids of the orphanage. So he started handing them out. And this 10-year-old girl who led the prayer in the morning, she went up to him and said, forget all of this. Where's the bottle? Look for the bottle and the doll. And right there at the bottom of the box was a feeding bottle, and next to it was the doll. Everybody cheered, the little children cheered, because they were sure that in that box would be a doll and would be a feeding bottle. And here was this missionary doctor who doubted that it could ever happen. But what was most astonishing about this was simply the fact that that box had been packed five months earlier. Can you get that? You see, our God is an awesome God. Packed in a box was the answer for a prayer that would be made five months later. Your prayers will never go unanswered. That's, that's the bottom line. And so today I'm going to ask you a question. In what kind of a trouble are you? In what kind of a crisis are you? And what kind of a miracle are you looking for? What kind of a doll are you looking for? What kind of a feeding bottle are you looking for? Have you reached that point in your life where everything looks bleak and impossible? You have looked north, you have looked south, you have looked east, you have looked west. But there seems to be no solution to your problem. Are you in that kind of a state? Are you in a crisis? You really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Then maybe it's time for us to think slightly differently. Somebody, I always thought it was uh, Stephen Covey who said this one, because I've read it in his book, but apparently uh, the author is, or the person who said the statement is unknown. It's been attributed to Henry Ford, it's been attributed to Albert Einstein, and it's been attributed to half a dozen other people, so I don't know who has really said it, but this is a statement. If you always do what you have always done, you will always get what you have always got. Can I repeat that? If you always do what you have always done, you will always get what you have always got. Okay, I like these tongue twisters. The fact of the matter is, 
if we are in facing troubles, problems, crisis, it's because we are probably trying to solve the problem the way we have always tried to solve the problem. And it's not getting us anywhere. It's time we need to change our thinking. It's time we need to change our attitude. It's time we need to determine how else to solve this problem. Maybe the time has come for you to change your response to your crisis situation. Maybe it is time for you to do something different. And therefore, the title of today's message is simply this. Crisis begets change. Now, when I started writing this, my intention, as always, was it would be a 45-minute message, and that's it. But I found that I wrote double what I normally write. And today, being communion service, I can't afford to take too long. I decided that I'm going to split it into two parts. And therefore, what you're getting today is part one. Okay, of this title, Crisis Begets Change. Part two will come somewhere later. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Well-known verse. Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So when God answers, you put your prayer to God, and when God answers, His answers are like Him, big. They're not small like us. They're much bigger than what we even expect. You want something. He gives you something mind-blowing. That's our God. But the criteria is simply this, call on me. Call on me and I will answer you. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, call on me and sometime, maybe, hopefully, I will answer you. It's a straightforward statement, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. When everything else has failed, when there seems to be no way forward, that's when God moves. And when God moves, he shakes the place. Now let me give you a couple of principles. I'll start off with the principles this week and some other time can conclude these principles. A few principles to consider while facing a crisis. In other words, these are the changes you need to make in your attitude and in your way of thinking. Number one, principle number one, godly wisdom is the solution to all problems. Godly wisdom is the solution to all problems. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter, chapter four, verses five to seven. Proverbs 4, 5 to 7. 
get wisdom get understanding do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth do not forsake her and she will preserve you love her and she will keep you wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom and in all you're getting get understanding that's the word of god get wisdom now the question to a christian simply is this what is wisdom you can define it in different ways but from a christian perspective from a biblical perspective wisdom is knowledge or understanding of facts acted upon with godly guidance that is wisdom so you have the facts you have the knowledge but just keeping the knowledge with yourself is not wisdom acting upon it not by your own strength not by your own experience but by looking to god and seeking god's wisdom to act on the facts that you have that's wisdom so very often in life we act without knowing the facts but for us to act the first thing we need to do in any situation is get the facts and then turn to god and say this is it as i see it this is what i know 1 2 3 4 4 what do i do and god gives you the word the guidance upon which you can act and that is wisdom and that's why some people act wisely while most of us act foolishly with the same set of facts every problem that you experience is actually the result of lack of wisdom get your facts right ask god to give you wisdom to turn that knowledge into a solution turn with me to the book of first samuel chapter 17 verses 4 to 6 first samuel chapter 17 verses 4 to 6 well known story and a champion went out from the camp of the philistines named goliath from gath whose height was 6 cubits and a span he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5000 shekels of bronze and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders this is fact this is what the israelite army was seeing and this is what they were looking at and they were shivering everything that is written here is the fact so they saw that goliath was a mountain of a man and they saw what kind of an armor he was wearing and they couldn't stand against him because they were just looking at him with worldly eyes they could not take that knowledge that they had in front of them turn it over to god and say what do i do so in comes david Let's move on to verses 45 to 49 of the same 1 Samuel chapter 17. Then David said to the Philistine, "You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew nearer to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. We have said it, Goliath was a big man, huge man, taunting the army of Israel. The fact was that Goliath appeared to be a very strong man. He didn't appear to have any weaknesses. But David saw all this. And because he went in the name of the Lord, he trusted the Lord, he was able to identify the one weak spot in Goliath. With all this armor, which is there from head to foot, Goliath was able to identify that the one weak spot was the forehead. The forehead was not covered. You see, that is where he used wisdom. Because of his intimacy with God, because he decided that he was not going to go in his strength, but he was go going to go in the name of the Lord, he was able to see like a red, like a, like a clown's nose, for example, a red spot that the forehead was exposed. And so he slung his stone. And that was the end of Goliath. You see, David used godly wisdom to discern this fact. And that was the spot he attacked. Now, what about you and me? When we are faced with problems, do we actually sit and analyze the problem? Or do we just go around screaming and shouting and saying, I have a problem, I have a big problem, I have a bigger problem, I have a big, big, big problem. What's the problem? Sit down, analyze it. There's one thing we are taught in medicine. And that is when a patient comes to us, and I've told you this in the past, discount 90% of everything the patient tells you. Okay, because most of that is irrelevant. You start writing down the problems. You say, what is the patient's problem? Write it down, one, two, three, four. And when, when it stares out at you, you say, what are the possible things you can do for that? So you've got to identify, you've got to analyze the situation. You've got to be able to examine your situation. Seek out the weak spots. Find out if this problem is there around you. What's the weak spot of that problem? Turn it over to God. And you see, God has already inputted into every one of us the necessary tools to defeat the problem to overcome the problem. If you are a child of God, all we need to do is turn it over to God and God then illuminates certain of those tools to us. 
and then you learn to eliminate the problem. Instead of just running around screaming, God doesn't always package the answer as a nice gift box and give it to us. He gives us the solutions in different ways. A verse that we often quote is James 4.7. Let's take that as an example. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, when does this happen? When the devil is constantly tempting you, how do you solve the problem? Number one, step one, submit to God. He's already given you the answer. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. You see, the answer is right there. All we need to do is be able to use godly wisdom to apply that into our life. Eve went into a discourse with Satan. And that's what some of us do. When the devil comes to do stuff to us, we get into a slinging match with him or a slanging match with him. The devil is too sly. But we are not asked anywhere in the Bible to have a slanging match with the devil. We are told, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't flee from the devil. It's the devil who will flee from you and from me. And the solution is submit to God, number one. Number two, resist the devil. You don't submit to God, you can't resist the devil. These things go together. So we see when you have a problem, when you have temptation, analyze situation, do what the Bible says which is where you are now applying that knowledge and that is wisdom. And then you can stand tall. Number two, let your mind envision a successful future. Let your mind envision a successful future. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, and one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Don't look at your circumstances or your situation or your surroundings and decide that you are a failure. Don't do that. You were never meant to be a failure. And you never will be a failure. So don't even bring that thought. Don't even bring that thought that you are a failure. 
You see, the, the whole problem lies in the fact that most of us want to run our lives with the pitiful knowledge that we have. We look around, we see men and women struggling through life, and then we think, that's my portion. But let me borrow a line from Pastor Sean. I'm sure you know it. Exactly. Your case is different. Don't look at the man next to you. Don't look at the woman next to you and say, that's my portion. That's his portion. That is not your portion. Your case is different. And this is what God was telling Abraham. It might have taken time, but that's God's time. God is never late. God knows the right time. But Abraham caught on to that vision that God painted before him, and the rest is history. Abraham is not referred to as the father of a man. He is the father of a nation. You see, that's the big picture which you need to have. Now let me ask all of you who are slightly older, what did you dream for yourselves 10 or 20 years back? When you were a young person, starting out on your profession, what did you dream for yourself? What did you see yourself as? And for all of you young people, what do you see yourself as 10 or 20 years down the line? Maybe you're just starting out into college or whatever. But where do you see yourself 20 years down the line? When I finished my basic medicine and decided to go into this branch called pathology, most of the people, most people that I knew, including my teachers, dissuaded me. They said, no. Don't be uh, a pathologist. Be a surgeon, be an orthopedician, be a physician, be a pediatrician. I said, no, I don't like patients. <laughs> okay, patients are the most thankless people. I mean, we hear it here, isn't it, from testimonies of how everybody comes and criticizes doctors. <laughs> Patients are thankless people. And I knew this 35 years back. So I said, no, I don't want to be an orthopedician or a physician or a surgeon. Maybe I'll make more money. I said, I want to be a pathologist. He said, you're making a big mistake. But there was one teacher, one surgeon, he was my teacher, he came up to me and said, uh, Leslie, I heard you want to be a pathologist. I said, yes, sir, that's true. He said, chase your dream. The only person to tell me that, chase your dream. He asked me, what do you see? how do you see yourself 20 years down the line? I said, chopping up bodies. That's part of my job doing autopsies, finding out why somebody died. Okay, that's fine, I like doing that. Investigative. So he said, good. You see yourself doing that 20 years down the line? I said, yes. Chase your dream. 
He said, it doesn't matter what others say. What do you want to do? Where do you see yourself? Have a big picture. Paint yourself a big picture of where you want to be. And don't paint it small, paint it big. Today, when I look back with some of my classmates who are making much more money than I am, but are in utter doldrums in various other things in life, while well, I'm happy, I'm at peace, I'm fine in every way. Did I make a mistake? I didn't. Chase your dream. You see, when you chase that dream, learn also to be an overcomer. Don't let situations and surroundings pull you down. Keep that focus always on you, on what you want to be. I'll say something now which I'm not too sure if most parents will agree with me, but I will still say it. A few months back, I gave a presentation at my place of work. It was in my department. The title of my presentation was Graduate More C Students Than A Students. It was a title that shocked many of my colleagues. They said, how can you say that? We are an academic institution. We should be graduating A students or B students, but not C students. Well, this title that I took was based on a book which I read by a person called Robert uh, Kiyosaki. And the title of the book, a very interesting book, if you read it, if you get it, read it. Why A students work for C students. <laughs> you see, statistics bear out the fact that most A and B students end up working for large companies, organizations, and they draw a fixed monthly salary. Now, the key fact is this. Most of those companies are owned by C-grade students. And those C-grade students are now using the intelligence of the A-graders to make their profit. They pay them a fixed salary, but the C-graders are laughing all the way to the bank. Okay, this is statistics. Okay, you look it out. Now, the question is, do you believe me? Looking at you, some of you don't believe me. Just answer this question. How many university lecturers do you know, university professors do you know, who are millionaires? No university professor is a millionaire. Okay, they struggle through life. So it doesn't really matter whether you are an A grader, a B grader, or a C grader. The key is you need to dream big. Okay, and when you dream big, you put that dream across to God. Say, God, this is what I want to be. Include God in that dream. Be all-inclusive. 
Forget about your current hardships, you will get there because you need to do some hard work. But if you dream big with God with you, you will get there. And then when you look back, you will say, was I in that position? You can do it. Turn with me to Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. 11 to 16. Judges 6, 11 to 16. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring you up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Like many of us, Gideon had a huge inferiority complex. He thought, like many of us do, that he was the smallest, he was the weakest, he was the least competent person. But that's not the way God looked at Gideon. To God, Gideon was a mighty man of valor. Gideon was big in God's eyes. And if you think that you are small, if you think that you are a nobody, put that thought away. Because in God's eyes, you are not a nobody. You are big. And just as he called Gideon a mighty man of valor, God has such a description for you, a mighty man or a mighty woman. And he has a task for you. There was a task for Gideon. But you see, God looks at us differently than we look at ourselves. So often we look at ourselves and say, I can't do it. I'm too small. God says, no, it's you. So don't look at yourself as small. Whatever be the crisis around you, don't look at yourself as small. Whatever be the problem around you, just turn it over to God. You are a big person. You are inferior to no one. God never made you to be an inferior person. God has made you to be up there, right at the top. Of course there are criteria which includes obedience to God and his word walking in holiness and purity, these are all criteria that we have to look at. But once we know what God wants from us, you are on a sure road of success away 
from all the problems and criteria you're facing. You can be an overcomer. Just as so many people in the word of God were overcomers, you can be an overcomer. My last point is this. The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we read this about Hannah. And her rival, that is Penina, also provoked her, Hannah, severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. The key here is that Hannah went to the house of the Lord year by year. It was a habit. It was a consistency. It was not just one sentence, oh, God has forgotten me. It was not just during a time of trial and crisis that you come up to God, but consistency. There is a routine that needs to be practiced. Hannah realized that her future lay in seeking the Lord till he answered. And she was consistent. She went to him year after year all the time. Hannah never allowed her circumstance or her barrenness to defeat her. See, she knew that this routine of constant prayer Trusting in God was a requisite before she would get her answer. And so she went. What about you and me? Have you got a problem for which you run helter-skelter from pillar to post, from this revival meeting to that revival meeting, from this preacher to that preacher, from this prophet to that prophet, from this somebody to our next somebody? You can keep doing it. Nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change. You see, what did Hannah do? Our example is in the word of God. What did Hannah do? She went to the Lord routinely. She didn't go to her husband. She didn't go to the high priest. She went to the Lord routinely. And that's the message for us. There has to be a routine Dedication to following the Lord, talking to the Lord, worshipping Him, praising Him, talking to Him, getting, see, putting across our problems to Him, and then He answers us. She cried out time and again to the Lord. She knew there was no other way, and she got her answer. Many of us over the age of 50 have one problem or the other with our health. I don't need to list it out. And very often, we are told at the age of 50 or 55 that we need to exercise. And so you start walking. As if that's going to solve the problem. That should have been started 30 years back. Okay. All you are doing, if you start walking suddenly back and forth, you're getting arthritis. So young people, those of you less than 30, get that into a routine now itself. You've got to take care of your health. Otherwise, at 50, 
you will have all kinds of problems. Okay, and then don't say we were not warned. Huh? I'm warning you now itself. Many of us above the age of 55 suddenly realize that, oops, in just a couple of years I'm going to retire. And then we look at our finances and it's a mess. Where's my next salary going to come from the day I retire? Clueless. What have I done? Nothing. So, the answer is, I am waiting on the Lord. The answer is in the Bible, look at the ant. It works hard during summer, puts away things for winter. Your winter is coming. You are going to retire. Where is your summer? Summers have all gone. Okay, young people, please, start putting away things for your future. You need to do that one. Otherwise, you suddenly land up in a mess where you don't know where, you, where, where the money is going to come from. You've got families, and you don't know what to do. We've got to do this one. Suddenly, we are faced with retrenchment. In, at at uh, different places, I've, I've, I've seen retrenchment, and the oft-given excuse is omanization or recession. Frankly, that's not the reason. Frankly, the reason is simply that we have not kept up with the times. We need to upgrade our skills at regular intervals. We need to keep upgrading our skills. We have not kept up with areas of specialization. And that is why we need to keep going on and on and on and make sure that we keep ourselves updated into everything that we need to know as far as our job is concerned. You need to make yourself unique. God has made you as a unique person. He's given you certain skills which only you possess. Don't let it go to rot. Build on it. And so you become indispensable, kind of. Nobody is indispensable, but you become that kind of a person. Young people, Hadassah, Tirza, don't be satisfied as soon as you get your uh, degree. Life is all about lifelong learning. You've got to keep upgrading yourself. I have three more points, which is going to be next, and then we bring them all together. But let me bring this part of crisis begets change to a close. God knows the situation you are in. It may look like a crisis to you, but if you just focus on God, the crisis no longer appears big. You see, our God is bigger than any crisis we might have ever faced. When Peter walked on water after getting out of the boat, his eyes were on Jesus. The raging storm did not matter to him. It was there, but it did not matter to him. He only started sinking when he took his eyes off Jesus. And then when he started looking around, that's when he saw the storm, fear hit him, and he started sinking. As long as his eyes were focused on God, Jesus Christ walking on that water, Peter walked with Jesus.
And that's what we need to do. It doesn't matter about circumstances. Focus on God. Turn to God. It's time that some of us turned to God and learned to focus on God. Our opening verse was Isaiah 65, verse 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. God is always ready to speak with you and with me and to listen to what we have to say. And as you speak, he hears. And as he hears, he answers. Why don't you talk to him right now? I don't know what your crisis is. I don't know what difficult situation you might be in. All I know is that we have a God who hears and a God who answers. Tell him your fears, your problems, your worries. And with gratitude, receive the answer that he brings across your way. Remember this. Your tomorrow is definitely better than your today and your yesterday. Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for speaking to us. Yes, Lord, indeed, we know, we believe that you are all-knowing God, all-powerful God, Lord, who hears us and answers us. Father, you know each and every one of our hearts, our situation, our circumstances, Thank you, Lord, once again, reminding us, focus on you, trusting in you. Lord, we thank you for the measure of faith that you've given to each and every one of us. More than all, give us the wisdom, discerning spirit, Lord, to discern the things concerning our life. Lord, that you lead us to a victorious life that we'll become a victorious Christian. We'll see the glory of God in every walk of our life. Thank you for hearing us, answering us once again. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now it's a time for us to go to the Lord's table. And we have to prepare ourselves. And as all of you know, this is prepared for God children, those who are obey the Lord in the waters of baptism, as accepted Him as a Lord and Savior. Before we go to the exhortation, we read the scripture from First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, from verse twenty-three onwards. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread of the, and, or drinking this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. What we understand from this before we come? Two things. One is the meaning of the Lord's Supper as a reminder once again. What does it mean? In, in the following scripture, what we read it, first of all, it is a memorial. Repeatedly it is said, remember, remember. It is a memorial. What we remember? We eat the bread in memory of the lost body. And we drink the cup, the, the wine which is kept in memory of his blood. Secondly, it is a proclamation. What we proclaim? It is clearly said we have to proclaim the Lord's death. And also, we have to proclaim our faith in the Lord's return. Till it comes. Till it comes, we are expected to proclaim his death and his return. Thirdly, it is a communion. Itself, it says that coming together in union. Union is not a physical, it is a spiritual. In our understanding, in our faith, in our love. It is not only one among us, and it is also we are believing that it is Lord's and the Lord is with us. So we are coming together and have it to in union with one another and one with the Lord. Secondly, the observance in this Lord's table, what we observe it. So this is a worthy manner, that's what it says. So we have to come with respect. It is not casual, it is not ritual, and it is not a routine as we do it. So we have to come with the reverence and with the law, uh, uh, reverence for the Lord. And we should take serious about it. Secondly, to be done with the self-examination. That is another qualification is expected or uh, the commandment is given here. We have to examine ourselves, not others. When you examine yourself, what do you examine? You should be free from guilt, free from sin. And God has, you have that, you should have that assurance of God has forgiven you. And at the same time, you always 
keep uh, love one another there is no one whom you hate or have a bitterness in your heart and to be done with other christians in the sense of the fellow believers that is as a, as you know if there is a one body and one bread and one blood, one body and one blood in the same way there is one bread and one wine when we are come together in union and it has to be done often as often as possible that is the commandment so in the early days they do do it weekly basis but as we are coming once in a month there should be an importance and it is a, it has a value once in a, some people yes indeed we wait for the day to come together and take the last table to pro- and to, to remember once again is death and this return in the same way we should wait upon the lord prepare ourselves we month after month even though it is a month after month prepare yourselves to come to the lord's table so that we will be reminded to remember and to proclaim and coming in union and uh, reminded of the lord's coming so that is the great hope for each and every one of us why we are sitting here it is not just to worship week after week and just going and coming we have our greatest hope is we are waiting for the lord to come so this will prepare us to meet the lord as he is going to come amen close our eyes prepare our hearts gracious heavenly father once again we thank you for your word thank you for the lord's the table which is kept before us thank you for the bread and wine lord you bless it sanctify it lord as you are coming together lord we will remember that you died for our sins and you shed your blood and you are cleansed us and you made us as the worthy children to take part in this now we pray for each and every one of us father if we have any unforgiven sin in us or if we have any bitterness against anybody or if we have any sin which separates you and us of father forgive us lord give us the repentant heart before you lord you are the whoever comes to you never be ashamed of father you forgive us and and cleanse us and make us holy as you are holy as we are coming together come lord help us to come together with understanding and believe and loving one another and with a great hope and with the reverence lord so that we may glorify you thank you for this moment in jesus precious name we pray amen once again it's a reminder it is prepared for the lost people those who are accepted the lord and obey the lord and the waters of baptism and as the ashes are guiding you please cooperate with them as they leads you come to the table of mercy prepared by the wine and the bread all who are hungry and thirsty come and your souls will be fed 
I'm at the Lord's invitation Receive from His nails garden Eat of the bread of salvation Drink of the blood of the Lamb On the night you were betrayed You took the bread After giving thanks you broke it and said This is my body Broken for you and as you eat it, remember me This is my body, broken for you And as you eat it, remember me On the night you were betrayed you took the cup After giving thanks you lived it up This is my blood Poured out for you And as you drink it Remember me This is my blood Poured out for you And as you drink it Remember me So we thank you for the bread And for the bread For see the life you gave And the blood you shed as we remember your wondrous love You shed your body, you gave your blood As we remember your wondrous love You gave your body you shed your blood By your blood You have saved us By your blood You have freed us By your blood We can enter Into your holy place By your blood You forgave us By your blood You have raised us By your blood Precious blood of the Lamb By your blood you By your blood you have freed us By your blood we can enter into your holy place By your blood you forgave us By your power you have raised us By your blood Precious blood of the Lamb So we thank you for the blood And for the brain For the life you, you gave 
and the blood you shed so we remember your precious love you gave your body you shed your blood as we remember your wondrous love you gave your body you shed your blood by your blood you have saved us by your blood you have freed us by your blood we can enter into your holy place by your blood you forgave us by your blood you have raised us by your blood precious blood or oh, by the blood lamb by your love you have saved us by your blood you have freed us by your blood we can enter into your holy place by your love you forgave us by your power you have raised us by your precious blood of the lamb by your blood precious blood of the lamb by your blood Let's be on our feet, please. I'm sure you have taken the blood of Jesus that the wine represents and the bread that represents the flesh of Jesus. I want you to go ahead and ask for what are your desires because of what you have taken today. Are you trusting God for a sanctified life? You know you have been struggling with sin and you desire a sanctified life. Why don't you go and say, Lord, because I've taken this, your blood and your flesh today, I will never fall again. I will live a life that will make me to be a vessel of honor, fully ready for your second coming. And peradventure, you have taken it today also, and you are trusting God. And Father, everything that Jesus Christ represents, that I should remember of, including healing, because I've taken this bread today and your blood, let my healing come. What is that your desire on the table of the Lord today? You can't take the blood and the flesh for nothing. What is it you are trusting God for? Or you are not even sure you will make heaven if Christ should come today. If you are here, you know you are not sure you will make heaven. And you have taken the bread. You took the wine that you need to reposition yourself. That Lord, please help me. You are still afraid. Oh, if Christ comes today, will I make it? You are yet to get there. Say, Lord, I receive the grace in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Somebody is here, you are praying, but you are not born again. Say, so before you call, I will answer you. 
that principle actually only applies to those that are his children. Are you a child of God? We have remembered the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our generation needs to know the fact that Christ can come as I'm talking now. Are you ready to go with him? Every house closed. God wants to give somebody opportunities this morning. You know you are not born again. You are still struggling with sin. You are committing sin without any check. Why don't you go and say, Lord, please, I am sorry for my sin. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. And promise him not to go back to those sin again. Get to a point that you are sorry for that sin. That is it's very simple. I say, Lord, I am sorry. Go ahead and confess them unto him. You know, you are not living a life that pleases the Lord. Because we don't want anyone not to make it to heaven. Is someone praying that prayer? If you have prayed that prayer, please pray with the whole of your heart. And be sincere with your God. You are not talking to any other person but God. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Lord, thank you for everyone that has taken this decision again this morning. Lord, I pray that, Lord, the grace to live above sin, to live a life that pleases you alone, give unto this one in the name of Jesus. Write their name in the book of life in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the salvation of their soul. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Father, we want to thank you this morning. What a wonderful experience in your presence. Thank you because you have again given us the word that will strengthen us never to give up in the place of prayers, but to continue to call on you, knowing fully well that whatsoever we need is already provided. We just need to call on you. Thank you for the wisdom of God that will locate us at the place we ought to be at every point in time that will help us to take the right step, at every point in time that will help us to make the right move, at every point of time in the name of Jesus. As we go into this week, we go in your power, in your strength, in your favor, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, blessed Redeemer. We pray for our children as they'll be resuming. Many of them have resumed. We decree this session in their academics, they shall be head and never tail in the name of Jesus. We pray that for all our children, they are exempted from any form of evil that the enemy has planned for this session in the name of Jesus. Every one of our children shall go to school, go out safely, and they shall come back safely with testimonies of your goodness in the name of Jesus. And as many trusting you for even school fees, say, God, where will the school fees to train these children come? Lord, I pray, you are the one that have all the resources of the universe at your head. 
supply every need in the name of Jesus. Supply every need in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. When we come back next week, it shall be with testimony. And for those that traveled, we pray you will bring them back safely in Jesus' name. This month, it shall be glorious for us in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Let's share the grace together in fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. As we pray, the Lord will answer us. You are blessed in Jesus' name.